times, though. Cool. Before we enter the next topic, we're going to pop open the we next need more, We need more beer. <laughs> because we're empty. So, this one... I saved for a second. <laughs> this is the Benny. Ready? Wait for it. Wait for it. Oh, yeah. Okay. There we go. Did you get that one? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. This one is one of their signature beers. It's it's 5.5 on the Richter scale. <laughs> it's a red-brown beer that's transparent, but for the dark color. The head is, is a small tan, one that takes some time to fade. From that point, we're going to go forward and just pour it. Once again, I love this growler. They know how to package their brews. Yeah, when it sounds like a gunshot opening it, you know you got a good thing, man. Right. <laughs> it's like a 22. Yeah. Your glasses over. They actually put a gasket on your growler. You know you're going to the right place. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so this one's going to be a little darker. Yeah, this one's going to be a little darker. But it's got a full, robust flavor. Like, I enjoyed this from the get-go. It's going to be a little heady at first, but... Uh, how about that, huh? It smells less hoppy, it, it I is, would say. It yeah, is a little is. less hoppy. And once you take your first sip, it's going to be a little smoother. It's like almost like sweet baby Jesus without the peanut butter. Yeah. 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 It's, it, it really is good. It's, 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 a, it's not a light. It's not a dark. It's right in between. Um, but it it's got a multi flavor. It's a Bach, so it's got the, it's got that multi flavor. Which one's this called? This one is the Benny. It's just called Benny. The yep. Benny. That's it, Benny. All right. <laughs> Wait, is it called Benny or the Benny? Uh, the Benny. Okay. All right, the, the Benny. Benny makes it cooler. <laughs> right. The, 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 the really drives it home. So it's not too too dark. You can see you can see through it to a degree. All right, but it's, it's darker. Oh yeah, but it's dark and hazy and delicious. But it's smooth from start it's to finish. Very smooth. Less sweet mm. than the other one. Less hoppy. Yeah. But still similar to the other one. Yeah. Well, it's still a Bach. So. Yeah. I thought it was a Benny. The, <laughs> it is a Benny. But the other <laughs> one was actually called Bach. Well, it was the Duke Bach. It was Duke and Bach. What is a Bach? The Bach is, think of it as being a type of porter. Okay. So, not as dark as a stout. So, because your stouts, you're looking at like a coffee, dark, rich. Yeah. So, it's not as dark as a stout, but a Bach is, is, is similar to a porter. Okay. So, it's just another so, classification of beer type. Yeah. Just maybe lesser known. I've never heard of a Bach. The one of the hundred classifications. I wouldn't say a hundred, but... <laughs> Close to it. But... You have to admit, it's pretty doggone smooth. Very smooth. So, um, this is one. Believe it or not, this is this is one that I te- I tested and then came back to because I really enjoyed it. Um, I I tried it and uh, I said, you know what, I, I I have to come back to this one. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's yeah, really it's good. It's not over the top. I really like it for like a, a no. quenching beer. Like the yeah. other ones are more your your thinker beers where you really have to analyze the flavors. Yeah, this one you just enjoy. You, you just you can relax. There's still a quality about this one though that 
that is the same as the other one. But yeah. I noticed that with every brewery, every brewery has like its signature. Yeah, I don't know what it is. There's one ingredient that says, "Oh, I can tell you that's from you know the brew kettle, or that's from platform." Mm, right. Or yeah, I don't know how they do it. They're well, now is this is it because they're both box or because they're both from the same well, place? Well, it, it may my... be a combination of either they are both box oriented, mm-hmm. but on top of that. They also go undergo the same brewing process, right? right. They have that, uh, I think they call it wart, uh, wart or wart haven or whatever. And so, and then they're both taken over to their locations, their local locations where they are then uh, additionally fermented. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's because it's the Bach or it's because undergoing the same brewing process. That one I couldn't answer for you. Okay. I would have to ask the brewers. It does have a honey aftertaste too, I would say. Like got, it's gotten sweeter as I've listened. Right. <laughs> is this is this five point five too? This one is also five point five. Oh man, what's up with the sevens, man? They're like, <laughs> well, it's they're they're gentle. They're gentle. They are. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good for these late night ones. Right. Uh, yeah, you're right. Early you're morning right. is coming fast right yeah. at my face yeah. here. <laughs> for those of you listening actually later, here it's, it's actually approaching midnight right now. So. <laughs> Um, going into practice, Islamic practice. All right, so not wasting any time. Uh, one shahada, the confession. Quote: I testify that there is no god but God, and I testify that Muhammad is the messenger of God. Unquote. Mm-hmm. Making this confession with sincerity is how one converts to Islam. Two, salah, ritual prayer performed five times a day, facing toward Mecca. Three, zakat, almsgiving, both to help the poor and for the spread of Islam. Four, psalm, fasting during the month of Ramadan, which consists of not eating or drinking anything at all, as well as sexual abstinence before sunset. In practice, however, some wealthy Muslims will simply sleep through the day and then feast at night. The feast is much more difficult for poor and working Muslims. Five, hajj, a one-time pilgrimage to Mecca for all who can afford it. Cleo. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so these are what's called um, the five pillars of Islam is what um, American textbooks like to say. Um, it's not really in this order or anything. Um, really, the... the the most important things here, and in the Quran, it'll say this is giving to the poor and pray. Um, now, zakat, I don't know why they said it's for the spread of Islam. That's that's not the case. Um, zakat is strictly just to help the poor. That's good. Um, it's not to it's not to give the poor a bagel bite and say, hey, if you want this, you gotta convert. Um, that'd be kind of mean. Um, but um. For the most part, the, this um, it kind of covers everything. You know, Islam is not a very complicated religion. This this kind of covers everything we're asked on a religious um, point. Um, you know, outside of you know being morally righteous, this is uh, anything religiously. Um, now the shahada, it's um. The Shahada is 
kind of put it. So away. is it like the sinner's prayer of uh, of Islam? It's basically saying, listen, just in your heart, um, believe that there's no God but God, and there yeah, you go. we got, You're we a got some questions for that one because whenever it's prop- propagandized in movies mm-hmm. or as a quote unquote terrorist act, you know that's what they're always supposedly saying, right? While they're committing, you know, the terrorist act or whatever, and I can clearly see through that propaganda, but to you know to associate that with Islam as being you know evil or whatever. But uh, can you unpack that? Is that well? Is I mean, that that's that's the same way of every suicide bomber yelling Allah Wakbar before he blows himself up. Right. Allah Wakbar has nothing to do with blowing yourself up. It just means God is the greatest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they yell it before they blow themselves up. I uh, you know. Everyone has to realize these people have to be crazy to begin with. So anything that comes out of their mind is coming out of a pretty crazy mind. I mean, um, so at a point, maybe they're just told by the higher-ups in the organization to say that stuff. I don't know, but the the, the Shahada, all, all it's basically is, is you believing that there is no God but God um, the the testify that Muhammad is the messenger of God it, it's iffy like I said we, we view all the messengers as equal um, to me I wouldn't say anybody has to say that I don't think that's part of so would you say it's kind of like a, a church creed Whereas we have like the Nicene mm. Creed, or we have like the Apostles' kind of. Creed, like or the Shahada is something. Basically, you, you go to a mosque, a masjid, go to a sheikh, or you know, a sheikh is basically a priest, and this is what they'll tell you to say. It's just kind of a, a creed thing. To me, I, it's it's not necessary. Just believe in your heart of hearts that mm. you know God is God. Um, the sakat once again is giving to the poor um praying once again it comes to a hadith thing you know for me i only pray three times a day because in the quran i can only find three times it mentions but hadith adds Mm. two more okay um which on that point to me there is no such thing as too much praying to god right so if you want to pray five times a day you go for it um, I just think three times is what is actually mandatory. Um, well, it's interesting, too, because if you go back to our Old Testament, in our Old Testament, it was uh, it was um, well, Daniel. Daniel, who would pray three times a day before his mirror, or not mirror, uh, his window. Hmm. Very call right. Yeah. Yeah, and which is what got him thrown into the lion's den, right? Was because three times a day he would knelt before and he would pray to you know, God, the Lord, Adonai, and uh, and they knew that and they used that against him. So, and speaking of praying, um, just to um, you know make some Christianity and Islam connections here. We pray exactly how in the Bible Jesus prayed with the bowing and prostrating. That's how we pray. Well, Orthodox Christians do in the Middle East as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've we've watched videos um, 
of the of the Coptic Christians, and, and they do prostrations. In fact, in um, even here in America, in Eastern Orthodox, uh, they do prostrations. Because if you look in the so. Bible, that that that's how it says, you know, Jesus prayed. Yeah. Um, I'm not downing people that just put their hands up or anything like that, but <laughs> I just wanted to make a connection there that you know um our prayer it's it's not something that's just strictly to us you know jesus prayed as well and like you said um the other one prayed um so praying you know just as muslims do is also in the bible it's so once again it's, it's just a connection it's it's um it's not like we're doing something completely separate from what christians do right yeah so let's step into a little more controversy <laughs> islam is itself divided with the most major uh, major divisions being sunni and shi'i these two groups share much in common though with different doctrinal emphasis and contrasting views on who was the proper heir of muhammad as caliph quote essentially i'm sorry in brackets essentially a theocratic leader in the first years after muhammad's death some in each group regard the other as heretical and their own as true Islam, although others see the differences as simply schools of thought. All Islam are shares all Islam shares the general belief in the absolute union of religion and the state. Theocracy is a Muslim ideal. Um this I don't have too much of an issue is, yes. Uh <laughs> That that was that that was the original um, division between the two. Um, one wanted the prophet's best friend to be caliph. The other wanted his nephew to be. Okay. Um, anything happening today is just kind of stuff they've convinced themselves of that is insane. Um, once again, the, the Islam shares the general belief that in absolute union of religion and the state, that's more of a hadith thing. Now, mind you, you, you can't combine religion and the state to the fullest. I mean, you can, like with the punishments and stuff like that for certain things. But um, no, that, that's more of a hadith thing where it's saying the absolute union of religion and state um religion is religion religion is a personal thing it's it's not a governmental thing now obviously any religion does have their own punishments for certain sins or atrocities and um honestly so do christian americans have to worry about sharia law that's what we're getting down to <laughs> <laughs> no but let me tell you if people got their hands cut off every time they stole something there'd be a lot less stealing <laughs> yeah. yeah all right all right 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 yeah. so um, i'm not necessarily saying it would be a bad thing if they united some of the rules well, there's there's some rules that some well, rules they don't apply for all. They don't apply for all. They <laughs> they apply for us commoners. <laughs> well, they um, I I'd say that that is the same way with with modern charismatic Christianity, mm -hmm. because in modern charismatic Christianity we try to impose ourselves over the state. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, where do we draw the difference? I I had a discussion this discussion not too long ago with uh, I won't say who it was but 
He had this irrational fear that because of all the immigration into our country, which by the way, a lot of our policies have created in the Middle Eastern countries, and now we're reaping some negative consequences to that. Um, but because of our policies and, and immigration into our countries and to other parts of Europe, he's worried that Sharia law is going to take over the world. And I'm like, where where does this is this fear even a, a valid fear? Do you know? No. Um, for for us, we re, um, Muslims are supposed to respect the land's laws at the end, which is once again why I said an absolute union of religion and state is just not possible you go to yeah. a state that doesn't believe in your religion guess what you ain't gonna have your religion's laws going on there and um speaking yeah. that sharia law itself is once again hadith hadith <laughs> thank you yeah sharia yeah. law is a hadith based and listen it's not even in every muslim country it's in saudi arabia mm-hmm. which hello is ally the, is, is the only country in the middle east that we are allied with exactly. um and they're the most extreme out of every single country irony irony <laughs> but um no there, there's no fear of sharia law guys um sharia law is not gonna take over <laughs> and trust me as a muslim i'm i'm glad for that because sharia law says some crazy things well and i brought this up to I, I, uh, friends of mine i won't bring up names so <laughs> what's with the lack of name dropping here? Uh, no 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 because hey. it's probably us we're all talking about right. <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to say anything about mike i mean <laughs> no uh um no there was um i brought this up to some of my uh other christian friends recently because they were going on about how well we need to make sure the state says this and i said well hold on back that up you are trying to impose a religious law over the state if we do that they can reverse that on us i said there should be there's a reason why there's yeah, that's a good point there's yeah. a reason why there's a separation of church and state we don't impose on them, they don't impose on us, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense that we are trying to impose our will across them because let's face it, there's a lot of Muslims and Buddhists and name the religion. There's a lot of them here in this, in this country. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure that the laws are fair and that's a state issue to help make sure the laws are fair. We're not to impose our views over anybody else. For example, Look at the Bible. Where, anywhere in the Bible, is the domineering, you know, person of God who's in power? I mean, you have King David, okay, but he he ruled fairly, okay. Doesn't talk about him persecuting people of other faiths or anything else. But if you look at your greatest leaders, Joseph, he served under a pagan king. Daniel served under a pagan king and the list goes on and on and on we are supposed to be working with the state to create fairness among people not impose our view over everybody and i think that's one of the biggest problems that we have now and that's one of the biggest problems with the charismatic movement mm. and and you know i, I agree once again I, I do believe in absolute union of religion and state um it's it's in the end irresponsible like you said um a lot of states have multiple religions in there so whose religions do you want a strict union with 
the state in and if you do then is that fair because that's like saying as a muslim country like saudi arabia does is everyone has to have a hijab you can be christian and guess who's wearing a hijab if you go to saudi arabia you are which the hijab is hadith as well <laughs> but um you know the, the point is the state is made to be a fair law for everybody you know so i don't believe in um if you try to make an absolute union between state and religion it's basically forcing your religion on somebody else with which no religion actually tells you to do yeah uh, just about every monotheistic religion says you know respect anybody for no matter what their beliefs are and if you had a true union between state and religion it that wouldn't be possible because your state would be pressing its religion down yeah. everybody's throat yeah. right i agree well that gets difficult just because there are topics you know say abortion gay rights and things of that nature that aren't specific to one religion but also have effects on humanity and and things like that so I think the topic's always going to be there, whether you're, you know, there's going to be people that agree or not, because you, your viewpoint comes either from your religion or your view set. And I believe, like, I would like our state to have a little bit more uh, religious tones, but that's just for my own benefit. You know, I, I feel like the right direction is a specific way, you know, so. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I understand what you're saying. Right. Kind of like, all right, so if we just, if we're not looking at it through one lens, anything goes. Right, I don't want it to get there. And I feel right. like that's where it's heading, and it's scary. Well, like, I almost I mean, look at extremists. Sometimes I say, you know what? I agree with some of that. We've gone so far, we have to take extreme measures to get ourselves back, you know, away from the ledge here. And then we got to compensate with new policies and create new bathrooms for new types of people that we didn't know existed <laughs> right. years ago. Right. I think well, I, I read an article this there's five gingers now. Is <laughs> Five. <laughs> Um, oh my gosh. I forgot what they all were, but I read that and my jaw just dropped and I'm like, <laughs> since when? <laughs> I thought no, life right. was a lot simpler than this. You're yeah. right. You, you are correct. Oh uh, my gosh. Right? <laughs> no, no. Unfortunately, it's no longer yin and yang. Anyway. <laughs> well, that's another podcast. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, no, no. I, I, I agree with that. And I, I agree that we have to try to create balance. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we should not be lording our view. The balance should always be, let's take Torah, for example. Okay, Torah in the Old Testament, believe it or not, was not unique. You know, everybody always like, oh yeah, it's new, it's, this is the way we're supposed to live according to God, and that's it, period. But believe it or not, a lot of the Old Testament law falls right in line with Hammurabi, and actually, I have a full presentation I was creating about all the different ancient views, you know, Sumerian, Akkadian, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it actually falls right in line with the same laws that everybody else was abiding by. Mm-hmm. The only difference was the ceremonial laws, really. And there was a little more leniency towards her, towards women, um, which was a big plus, right? But <laughs> um, giving them a little more power. Right. Um, but... Overall, the Torah falls right in line with Hammurabi and the other ancient Mesopotamian and Semitic laws that were already in place, which falls in line with the New Testament guidelines of, guess what it says, 
listening to your leaders. What did Paul say? Listen to your leaders because there is no authority outside of God's authority, right? So Paul says it in the New Testament. So, I mean, the Old Testament reflects the New Testament, and in both places, they are literally obeying the law of the land. Yeah. Well, and you look, I think that's where a lot of the struggle, at least from a Christian point of view, the rub was always with um, the Pharisees wanting to keep their grip on their followers because they wanted to keep it strictly, strictly religious and didn't want room there right. to step in. You know, where things remain secular, that way one group wouldn't have that much control. I mean, their influence was enormous. Oh, yeah. Well, ultimately, it was the Pharisees that stomped out everybody else, right? Because right. during Jesus' time, there was major, at least five major different rabbinical groups. Yeah. And ultimately, the Pharisaicals stomped everybody else out. Yeah. So, yeah. structure. Imams in Sunni Islam are generally leaders of the community, especially in leading prayer in mosques, which are the worship centers for, Mus for Muslims. For Shiites, Imams are successors to Muhammad who play a cosmic role and are regarded in some sense as infallible guides to God. Sounds like a pope. <clears throat> Twelve are Shiites function according to detailed legal guidelines and jurisprudence and have a list of 12 Imams, with the 12th Imam, the Mahdi, being currently hidden and awaiting a kind of messianic return. Ismaili Shiite Imams are as being infallible in themselves by virtue of heredity, and there will always be a living Imam to guide the Ismailis. Chikilio. Imams are basically a step above sheikhs. Okay. That's what it comes down so like to. priests? I would say the sheikhs are, are the priests, and imams would be like the bishop. So like clerics? Kind of. Okay. Yeah, it's just a mosque standard setup. Um, obviously, um, certain people like to make that a lot more complicated than it has to be. It's more or less that it's, it's just the, the social structure of the mosque. Of a mosque, yes. Okay. There's imam, there's a... Sheikh now, um, so as you saw, depending on which sect you're looking at, they can mean totally different things. Okay. But that's just like Catholic has a pope. Right. While others don't. Okay. Um, so in the next one, it says, in Sunni Islam, Muhammad's successors are the caliphs who function in many ways like Shiite Imams. Sunni caliphs are the temporal head of the Muslim community. For Shiite, the Imam must be a descendant of Ali and Muhammad's daughter, Fatima. For both major types of Shiites, the Imam's interpretation of the law is infallible. He is not the same as a prophet in that he does not bring new revelation, but only interprets what was revealed through Muhammad. I will let you unpack that. <laughs> Kudo, do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> so once again, is that just, just does that boil down to just social structure within the mosque again? These are social structures, which me, which you know, mind you, are Imams, Sunni Imams, Shia. These are once again, it gets related to hadith or tradition more so than anything. They're picking okay. their caliphs or imams based on you know either tradition or hadith and then they're giving them the rights to essentially interpret what was going on which i personally see no point in you know you don't you want some interpretation grab a quran 
read it and uh <laughs> I, I don't think you need another mm. person to um say what something means um matter of fact i don't like that idea um where yeah. one person interprets what it means in his head and then tries to push it to um everybody else to me i think that's a dumb way of doing things sounds yeah. like a denomination yeah, yeah we got basically. we got that problem um, that. yeah basically exactly what it was and there's there's, there's a lot of that believe it or not there's because obviously there's whatever said 12 imams or however many caliphs you know if each of them says something different now people are picking sides of who they want to believe so to me um i'm not a big fan of that but like i said in the end it's it's kind of just a structure in in the community when it comes to mosques and masjids um that like i said the sheikhism and there's um, so so basically it just boils down to like your your religious structure of how things are actually laid out for the general public Uh, kind of like um you know what's a good example our judaism right now they have um from what i understand they they have uh, like a, a specific group that interprets the tour according to the time mm-hmm. modern pharisees yes and and that that's essentially what they're saying that is which once again i think it's a dumb idea to do things that way you you if you if you want to interpret something read it yourself and that way you can see you don't have anyone else's opinion upon you i don't care who they're related to you know somebody nowadays could be related to prophet muhammad congratulations uh you so far from removed why do i think your word is any more important than anybody else's in this world um but that's a that's some controversy and i probably got some down likes for that <laughs> but th- th- that's all it is what's well, next one i know you have some things to say about because we were talking about earlier um uh, we were we were having a warm-up discussion before this <laughs> uh there is a debate in our time as to whether Islam is inherently violent. Whether the jihad struggle is expected of all Sunni Muslims is only an interior spiritual struggle or a call to war against non-Muslims. A certain late hadith speaks of the internal struggle as being the greater hadith, quote-unquote, while the quote unquote, lesser jihad is on the battlefield. All Muslims would agree on the obligation to wage defensive war against invaders, but jihad as expansionism is traditionally seen as the annual duty of the caliph and only possible when there is a caliph. Modern militant slash jihadi groups transfer the obligation of expansion through jihad to every Muslim where there is no caliph. There has been no recognized caliph since the fall of the Ottoman Empire with the caliphate formally abolished in 1924. One of the things that characterizes certain jihadi groups is that they believe they have a caliph. Khalil? Okay, um, what I like about this quote, and this is exactly what I said in our warm-up discussion, is um, jihad really do- does just mean um, struggle. Um, there's no meaning of it that means anything on the battlefields. Now, can defending yourself on a battlefield be considered a struggle? Um, yes, but the whole idea that um, a jihad as um, an expansion that's not islamic at all once again that that comes from you know hadith and tradition and basically greedy leaders being greedy 
you know, uh, you know, greedy leaders. I say this before to anybody, but if you were a leader and you wanted the mass of your population to agree with you, what would you pick to tell them that it approves with your plans? You would pick something that a lot of them have in common, that a lot of them believe in, that has some sort of way that looks like it agrees with you. In most cases, that's going to be religion. If you can convince a mass population that their religion is telling them to do what you essentially want them to do, you get a pretty big following pretty fast. Um, Sounds like a crusade. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's kind of where that comes from. But a jihad itself is really just a struggle, and it could be a you know it could be a spiritual struggle. It could be defending yourself, but you cannot attack somebody and call it a struggle. So if <laughs> if I have a lot of cramps, is is that like a jihad against myself? Yeah, that's the, that's your own personal struggle. <laughs> if you have a headache, that that's it's a struggle, you know. It's too much jihad information. <laughs> so the, the, you know, it, it just means struggle. Now, for the record, it is mostly used as you know, kind of a a, a spiritual struggle. That that's the way it is preferred um, to be used because you know, if you have a headache, you have a headache. You don't have to call it a struggle. You just have a headache. Yeah. You have cramps. You have cramps. You don't have to call it a struggle. Don't have to be so dramatic, juice. Um, <laughs> but if you have an internal struggle, that's an internal struggle. Once again, if well, just like in the in the Christian faith, when we say that we war against the flesh. You know, we we, uh, we battle our own uh, our own passions. You know, yeah. we battle against lust. We battle against our own anger. We little, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that, and yes, if somebody attacks you, you are struggling to defend yourself. But once again, just want to clarify: there's no such thing as expanding, aka attacking another person, and being able to call it. A jihad or a struggle. Well, the words got abused here in the West through our media, only oh, yeah. only associating the word jihad with terrorists. Oh, holy war! And they, I they think, like to say uh, jihad means holy war. You know that probably shot up a thousandfold here after nine eleven. You know, it's. I would hear the terms launch a jihad, which yeah. now it doesn't make sense. I mean, according to you, you can't inflict a struggle on other people. Yeah. It's your jihad. You know, like it's... Yeah. It's personal. Yeah. Yeah. I can't attempt to flying knee juice right now and call it my personal jihad. <laughs> if anything else, I'm... I, I mean, I, you know what? That will create a struggle for myself because, you know, <laughs> God knows what juice will do to me if I attempt to flying knee him. But, um, <laughs> no, you, you can't attack somebody and say, oh, this is my struggle. If anything, you're creating a struggle for the actually other group, a- you know? Yeah. Flying Jihad does sound like a cool wrestling move, though, by the way. Just <laughs> the flying <to> Jihad. <laughs> <laughs> or brothers, the Flying Jihad. <laughs> it's kind of like the Bushwhack Brothers back in the right, 80s. Right. <laughs> it could work. It could work. I brought up uh, a few cool stories because people always assume, at least here in the West, always assume that the... Um, that, that Christians and Islam have always been fighting, but quite the opposite. There's actually a lot of history of how they've helped each other. Um, so here's because here's, we love you guys <laughs> and you love us. <laughs> so here's here's one story. It's Habasha and the Negus. Uh, 
Here it goes. It was a Christian king in a predominantly Christian land who gave the small persecuted community of early Muslims in the beginning of the Prophet Muhammad's mission protection. Muslims were welcomed, protected, and lived in peace with the Christians of Habasha. But this did not sit well with the Makkans, who did not want to see them leave Makkah or want the message of Islam to flourish in peace. They sent special envoys with gifts and lies about the Muslims to convince the Negus to send the Muslims back to Makkah. They told the Negus that this new faith took pride in insulting not just ancestral Makkan beliefs, but the beliefs of Christians as well. Another king may have simply taken their word and automatically kicked the Muslims out. The Negus did not. He ordered that the leader of the Muslims community come to his court and explain Islam's position. Enter, and I will butcher this, I'm sure, Jafar ibn Abu Talib, early Muslim refugees to Habasha and cousin of the Prophet. Not only did he eloquently explain the message of Islam and the persecution of those who accepted this truthful message, he also recited the opening verse of Surah 19 of the Quran, Surah Maryam, or Mary, after the Negus asked him to recite part of the Quran. King Negus listened to the recitation of the Quran and focused attention. He cried as he listened, so much so that his beard got wet. When Jafar completed the recitation, Negus said, Surely this revelation and the revelation of Jesus were from the same source. Then the two Makan ambassadors said, By God, I will not hand over these persons to you. I'll leave it there, and that's because there's more to the story. But what it boils down to is they were trying to pair them against each other. And instead of that, they, they accepted faith and, and uh, brotherhood. And they let each other live in the land peacefully. But the cooler story, here's the cooler story. It's a pretty short one. Here's the cooler story. Uh, Jerusalem and its surrounding territories were and remain holy to Muslims, Christians, and Jews. It was during the caliphate of Omar ibn al-Khattab that the Muslims first gained leadership of this territory. I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit. Omar entered Jerusalem in humility. He walked in with not he, the caliph, but his servant, comfortably riding on a camel. They had been taking turns walking and riding. At one point in Jerusalem, the Christians asked him to pray in their church, but he declined. He said he was afraid that in the future, Muslims could use this as an excuse to take over the church to build a masjid. The Christians gave the key of the Church of Resurrection to Muslims to be responsible for its safety. This key is still with the Muslims today as a sign and symbol of the mutual trust. And it is true that to this day in Jerusalem, the Muslims open the Christian church and they close the Christian church every yeah. single day as a sign of peace and respect among them. Yeah. It says a lot, doesn't it? Oh, it does, yeah. I mean, Granted, they're still, uh, it's still under IDF guns that it's all surrounded in surveillance, but yes. So one can argue if we truly, if they truly have control over it, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that is true. Yeah. Those are the only two stories I pulled. I, I had probably half a dozen, but it, I left it at two because but it, does, it does show the remarkable, uh, you know, brotherhood between the Christians and the Muslims. Yeah. I mean, it really does. Yeah. Especially with as much angst that happened over the years as it did. Because, I mean, let's face it, we went through all the Crusades. We went through, I mean, just thing after thing after thing after thing. There's another story I have in here. I won't read it off. There's another story I have where there was, um, there was actually a Muslim 
uh, a faction moving in, taking over a land, and they were the people had heard about it, and so they had a wedding, and they went ahead and planned the wedding, you know, sooner because the attack was coming. When the Islamic leader found out about it, he told all of his soldiers not to attack. And they proceeded with the wedding. And the queen was so happy with it, she actually sent wedding cake and everything out to all the, all the Islamic people who had showed up. Hmm. So, I mean, the, the stories that go back and forth are, are remarkable if you look at the humanity that's been involved on both sides. Yeah. And, you know, even during the, the Crusades, which a lot of people like to use an example as Christians versus Muslims, you know, when uh, King Richard the Lionheart, there's a um, story when he was coming to Jerusalem, he actually got sick. And back in those days, medically, the Muslims were a lot more advanced back then than the Christians. And he got sick, and um, Salahuddin, who was the leader of the Muslims at the time, actually sent him a basket of fruit with instructions for you know his people that will make him better. Um, which is a big thing about, you know, it, it shows the respect between them. Yeah. The respect and the humility. Mm -hmm. Right. Mean, imagine someone's coming to attack you and you could have just let him die. You know? <laughs> right. Most people would have, yeah. you know. Instead, yeah. he basically sent him a get well basket. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating if you look at the, at the brotherhood and respect that has been on both sides, you know, since the beginning. It's telling me. Regain your strength, my brother. You're going to need it before I whoop you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> yeah, and they were. You're, you're, I, I went through a whole... I studied up, up on this subject approaching tonight, and, it, and their medicines and everything were far advanced, um, far past uh, Europe, and uh, Damascus being one of the centers of... Uh, learning and medicine and they'd already man they already calculated distance between the earth and the moon and the circulation of blood across the body and it's, it's fascinating science wise uh, Muslims at that time were very far ahead matter of fact a lot of kings whenever they got sick they'd call in you know Muslim physicians to come check up on them mm -hmm. or yeah. just anything uh, mathematically they were doing good scientifically they were doing good medically yeah. They were just kind of ahead at that time. Right. Um, Even tapestries. If you look at the tap to the tapestries from back then, a lot of them were Islamic. Um, the artists would even copy that. So if you look at some pictures of like Mary, for example, if you look real close at the tapestry that she's covered in, a lot of times it'll have the Arabic inscriptions along the sides of it because they're copying the Islamic uh, tapestries that was around at that time. Before we go any further, we have to dive into the unseen realm. So, please tell us what you know of angels and the jinn. Because this is fascinating. Well, first of all, I already kind of see something where it says, with the broad meaning of demons, jinn, jinn are different. Jinn are uh, different than um, demons. So how do you define, okay, for example, let's, what is an angel in the Islamic tradition? 
here's the simplest way to uh, kind of explain it. Angels uh, kind of like what, what everything's made of, right? You know, angels were made of light. Jinn, as you can actually read in this, were made of smokeless, scorching fire. Um, angels were essentially, um, you know, like Christianity, angels were the ones... I don't want to say loyal, but they were the one kind of bound to God. You know, they were okay. God's personal servants, okay. in a sense. Um, jinn are actually um, very relative to humans. Like I said, they're, they're not demons. They can be good, evil, or neutral, which this does say. And they have uh, free will. Um, now, there can be evil jinn, which this is shaitan jinn uh shaitan means demon or devil okay what i noticed what i noticed going in is that the biggest similarity in what i see here as far as the arabic understanding it falls right in line with some of the, what the christian understanding is because angels are are messengers in the christian tradition mm-hmm and ironically, there's not a lot of talk of angels being bad. That's kind of weird. Um, it is the sons of God that rebelled. Who we call the the Elohim or the you know the uh, the Watchers. They're a different classification. So that could actually that actually could fall under what you call the Jinn. It's fairly fairly interesting, and and they did end up having children and everything else so that's it's very very interesting that there is a similarity right there yeah for the most part with us angels are pretty much um bound to god um humans and jinn are the ones with more so free will than angels and like you said that there's really not a lot that surah al jinn is basically all there is on jinn okay um can i can a jinn like crossbreed with a human and if they do is it a sin if they do is it a sin (laughs) (laughs) um realm Mm. like they're in the same realm but they're in a different one they're shapeshifters too right they can they can appear as something else like i said there's not too much on them i mean it doesn't, and it doesn't mention crossbreeding. Okay, so, um, so it's the the Quran's fairly silent on what they actually are in their not nature. Not too much. It mentions okay. what they are. Okay. And kind of that they have free will, but it doesn't go in too much detail. Okay. Um, same thing with angels. Really, it doesn't go into too much detail. Agreed. Angels. Agreed. It it's taken um, a lot of research just to find that out that there is at least three different classes. So yeah, so. I mean, with us, I mean, with the Quran, it's it's the Quran is mostly made for us, and the Quran says itself there's so much we don't know. Okay. Um, which I don't know. Sometimes I'm I'm glad about. Yeah. Who knows if if you want to know some things that are well, I guess that's what I was going to ask you. I'm like, how much weight and importance does a practicing Muslim put into the unseen side of things in terms of evil that happens in this world? 
like when you see the evil that's going on everywhere, uh, do you say, well, part of that is man, the other part of that is the unseen jinn that we can't see, or the demons, you know, as Christians would say, that might be associated with evil? Like, do you, how no, much of that do you really attribute you to know, that? You know, you could be, I mean, that, that that's a very... um personal thoughts because who's to say you know if if we want to get as controversial or you know as imaginative as we can who's to say the evil voices you hear in your head telling you to do bad things aren't the djinn Mm-hmm. But if there's a gin just right next to you and he's just whispering bad things, well, and maybe I drink, that's what's convincing if you. If I drink right? enough gin, I do hear things. I mean, <laughs> oh. I mean, no, I mean just really, if you think about it, that, yeah. that could be. Yeah. Okay. That could be. I mean, who so, knows? Once again, humans only know so, from so an, much. So, from a Muslim perspective, is there a difference between demons and gin? Or are they equivalent? I love throwing these at you. <laughs> well, what it is, you know, like that said, the the the, the jinn that choose to be evil, yes, those are kind of the the demons. Okay. But jinn themselves are not all. So, like humans, they bad. can choose to do bad, or they can yes. choose to do good. Now the bad ones just mm. do demon stuff. Much like we say in the in the Christian faith, the watchers were mm-hmm. some good, there were some bad. And, and you know what's funny is what I just said where who knows if they're the ones whispering to you. It says uh, jizz may have an affinity with the imaginal realm. The world where emotions become predominant, it affects our world through dreams and psychological uh, function. Therefore, jizz may be less entities and more thoughts that were in the world hmm. before the existence of man, but may take physical shapes in certain conditions. Um, and that's just from the masterful, you know, Wikipedia. Yeah. yeah, like I said, it doesn't go into too much detail in the Quran about everything about the jinn. Okay. But um. But in your opinion, could the evil in the world be attributed to evil jinn enticing people through thoughts? You know what? No. Okay. There's bringing up Wonder Woman. <laughs> there, oh, there, wow. there is. A, <laughs> yeah. Sooner or later, I have to bring my geekdom in. So, <laughs> going into Wonder Woman, there is a part because she's you know being the the Greek you know semi goddess that she is, um, and she's going after Ares, all right, because she believes that Ares is the cause of all evil in the world. However, Ares makes a, a very interesting statement. He says, "I didn't have to do anything." I just had to whisper in their ears. I let them do the rest. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting, you know. So, yeah. And once again, <laughs> yeah. who used to say that that's not the case? Yeah. You know, in all honesty. Um, but like I said, the the con itself, it, admittedly, it does not go in too deep of a discussion of what you are, what they do, mm. what their purpose is, and it doesn't go in too much about angels either like mm-hmm. i said most of the quran is mostly about us how we're supposed to live our life much like the bible yeah yeah and like i say the the quran doesn't try to lie about it it pretty straightforward says there's only so much humans know so yeah. much we'll ever know and personally i'm okay with that i was just gonna say so in every day, in your everyday practical life as a as a muslim when you see evil going on, the first thing you aren't thinking of, uh, 
the demons behind this person. No, no, <laughs> I don't. I don't think of because um, there's evangelicals. I know so many of them who oh, are yeah. looking for demons behind every rock. Yeah, yeah. No, to to me, um, free will is a powerful thing, whether it's good or or bad. You know, in mm-hmm. the end, even if you. Even if you do have a gin or demon whispering in your ear, in the end, it's your mind. Mm. It, what you choose to believe, what you choose to do, it's it's on you. I mean, say try even if you do claim a gin or a demon whispered to you, it's no different than saying a friend or family member whispered to you. Mm-hmm. It still went through your mind, and you're still the one that made the decision to go through with what you did. Jeez. I don't. I don't see it as a plausible excuse even if it were true to say oh well evil whispered in my ear i, I see mike's head well, you, you gave into evil this is a personal and spiritual problem of, of yourself sure yeah i agree go ahead mike so go ahead. in the in our bible um there's a significant amount of casting demons out and even in pop culture movies and things you know Rosemary's baby. It's right. It's kind of woven into (laughs) Christian fabric on how demons are, you know, not only a part of the world, but spiritual warfare is huge and sermons and things like that. You know, as a Muslim, how much is that a topic? Or in the Quran, how much is possession and casting out demons? Is that a thing? Now, um, we we do believe that um, Shaitan is in the world trying to convince people to do evil. Shaitan is that equivalent to Satan? Shaitan is Iblis, which is Satan. Yes. Okay. Um, now, now the difference there, just so we we know, um, is Shaitan like a title, and Iblis like a name. Iblis is the name, yeah. Okay, so Iblis, Iblis is the name. Iblis is the name. Shaitan is kind of like the like, title. Okay, okay. Shaitan is kind of like saying the devil. Iblis is the name of specific. Okay. Interesting. Um, I would say the same thing in Christianity. Iblis. So go ahead. Yeah. 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 That's so much cooler than Satan. <laughs> well, I mean, he has another name. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, that, that's right. his actual name. Shaitan basically means the devil or Satan. Mm-hmm. You know. okay. So, well, like he said, there's a name and there's the mm-hmm. title. It's the same thing in Christianity, though. Uh, Satan is not a name. Yeah. It's Satan it's used throughout most of the Bible. Now, New Testament is a little different. It it has the personal pronoun um, later in the New Testament. But throughout the Old Testament, it's not a proper name. It's It literally is a title used by, um, quote-unquote, devils, humans, and at one point, even God himself, because it just literally means the accuser. It's a title that just means the accuser or the persecutor or mm-hmm. whatever. The, the, there's a, several meanings that can be attached to it, but but really, you know, the accuser. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Um, but now, yes, um, we do believe Shaitan is, with, you know, trying to cause evil in the world by trying to make people follow the wrong path. Um, We do believe that is um, in existence. Um, Is it as widespread as the West has it with, you know, demons? Not necessarily, but it is widespread enough where the first first surah is enough where where we ask for protection from 
mm. shaitan, you know, okay. where we ask protection from not going down that wrong path. But nothing about we believe you. spiritual entities in, jumping in people's bodies. And are you asking if we believe people are getting possessed? Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't so much believe in possession. With us, everything is very... Um, you screw up, it's on you with us. Okay. So the... So you're saying that you don't believe that possession is prevalent? Yeah. Right. We don't believe people are getting possessed left and right to do oh. but evil, it, dirty things. But is it possible that demons can live in people? Or what we call demons, whatever your equivalent is? The reason I ask is because if Jesus is a prophet and he cast demons out and he acknowledged demons, now... I realize that it's contextual and it could be what people were seeing around there, but you know, I, I do believe it's a thing. I was just curious how that affects. Like, do you think it was just a part of our Bible, or are there could there be truly demons? Does that change the way you feel about the discussion? I mean, Does Islam have see, a Rosemary's baby? I don't know if it baby? is contextual because casting out demons. Because contextually, having demons could just be having evil thoughts, just like having skeletons in your closet is just referring to you have some dirty things in your past. You know what I'm saying? So, but no, I've, I've never heard for us, you know, talking about somebody getting possessed mm. or something like that. Yeah, these, uh, there's instances where they even, the demon speaks and gives his name before leaving mm-hmm. the person and... Oh, it's it's crazy. I, I've watched them where, uh, in charismatic areas, where the demon itself starts speaking in tongues. It's right. it's freaky. It is freaky, <laughs> right? <laughs> tongues. Yeah, yeah, I've been in I've been in some weird situations like that. However, I never I, I always thought it was weird and oppressive in some sense. At the same time, I never truly felt like I was threatened by it. True. You know, because there was always a part of me that felt like I'm—I I don't want to call anybody's experience fake, but a lot of it, maybe like he's saying, is to a great extent self-brought on. Like, yeah. man, you—you you really brought this upon yourself so deep that it has no choice but to manifest itself in weird ways now. Yeah. Um, so influenced, like. I mean, I could like believe- a girl on prom night. <laughs> 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 I, I, yeah, so I do believe just, you can just giving an example that's prevalent I mean <laughs> I yeah. mean let's face it <laughs> I mean contextually you can let demons in essentially um, but do, do I take it so much as a literal term I don't know about that hmm. um, do I believe you could essentially give in to evil thoughts or demons that sort of way yes and do i think you can start doing or saying some weird crap if you do probably i mean tongues i don't know about we tongues aren't really discussed in islam why not 
<laughs> Obviously, you guys are not saved. <laughs> I guess not. You have to be baptized to understand tongues. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I've been talked to about tongues. Uh, I'm sensing an altar call coming out. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I don't. I don't know much about tongues or no, possession. That's, okay. that's not really. We're doing a future episode on that too. On tongues, <laughs> I, ironically, oh, yeah. I think most evangelicals mm. don't know a lot about it. But as despite their claims, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So, but that's just been good. Any further questions from Mike or Gumby? Or you know, I think there's one question I have, um, and then whoever else, you know, here in the West, from a Muslim's point of view, uh, I'm not sure how old you were when 9/11 happened here, and but I remember thinking at the time, seeing all of that transpire on TV. Mm-hmm. I remember physically going to bed that night thinking, oh my gosh, they're like Muslims out to get us. Really thinking that because I didn't know better. Well, I even would take it as far as Arabs. Like, I wouldn't yeah. even say just Muslims. It was total racial profiling. And then, you know, uh, right, absolutely. And then that's where it led to for me. Like, you know, anytime I would see any Arab or a Muslim immediately. I had preconceived notions already that I never had before. Thought it was gonna blow up, didn't you? Of course, of course. I and mean, still get a little freaked out on a plane if a guy looks suspicious, you know, and yeah. he happens to be a so. But you can't tell me you don't feel safer going through TSA. I mean, I'm fine. <laughs> right, I know I won't be stopped, especially if there's a guy behind me. Going, yeah. Oh, boy, yeah. stop. They look at my name. <laughs> Come on, sir, step out. Wait, what's your first wait, name? Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. You can't just copy and paste your first name as your last name, sir. I was one of the first people to experiment with that new machine they have now. <laughs> Trying to go to Florida. Oh, yeah. Man. I get checked on the terrorist list every single time. Oh. Right. Every single time. Now, are you are you joking or are you being for real? Um, one hundred percent for real. <laughs> okay. I tried to go to Florida with my mother when I was sixteen. Which, mind you, when you're sixteen, they don't really ID you, right? Yeah. If you're with a parent, but they see my ticket, they see my name. Yeah, hey, uh, you got yeah. your ID with you? I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. I give him my ID. This person runs like 10 computers down, and I'm like, I know what you're doing over there. <laughs> you know the, you know the pat-down's coming, huh? <laughs> oh, my, my seat got changed to the one right next to the door. I guess they were ready to throw me off if anything happened. Um, Whenever you hear latex snap, man, you know it's bad. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Listen, I'll fly another time. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they took my uh, studded belts. Horrible. Really? Yes. Are you serious? And they took my belt buckle, which which had like two little guns in a rose, and it was like all connected. And they said, "Oh, it looked too real." And I'm like, "What am I gonna do? Take what? it?" Mind you, this, this thing was in the luggage, going underneath the plane. Oh, wow. So, oh man, I asked them, "Do you think I'm going to go into the unpressurized cabin to get my belt buckled and throw it at somebody?" <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> and um, it was just... So I, I guess my question is, what can we do to, to start changing that mindset? 
uh, to at least be more rational. Um, I'm hoping that this podcast could start. Well, yeah, <laughs> the podcast, or you know, my biggest thing is, you know, if 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 you if you have doubts or you don't know, you know, get, get a Muslim friend. I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, start a website or something. Muslim friends. Muslimfriends.com. The site where we can find a Christian, a Muslim friend. Um, <laughs> might be a good business idea. I might look into it. But um, you know that that that's that's the best way to um, do it. Just just find somebody that you can be in constant contact with to that to actually see what they're about. Well, the irony would be this: to say when you choose a site like we are here. We are here dot com, so you can find Muslim friends, but that can be taken way, you know, that can be taken two ways. Yeah, <laughs> don't yeah. find an extremist friend. Right, <laughs> maybe it's a slider to tell how what the extreme level should be or something. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll give them uh, extreme ratings. Uh, yeah, well, people will be honest you and believe rate in. <laughs> Yeah, right. that's the thing. That's the that's the, that's the takeaway question I have because it's, it's great to meet a Muslim because I I don't run, run across too many. I know some that are borderline, none that really know their stuff. And um, but it's still concerning that you've chosen to follow your path and and research and the hadith aren't running your life. But to know that it's a majority, it is still kind of scary. Scary to see that. It is a majority. Now I will say that even though it's a majority, not everyone that believes in hadith are bad people. I'm just saying um, hadith does have some very oppressive, um, you know. I want to call them verses, but some oppressive sayings, quotes. Now, a lot of them even that do believe in hadith, and that doesn't mean they follow it. Mm. It's like a lot of people that have a religion, that doesn't necessarily mean they follow it. Well, I would even go so far as to say that a lot, even a lot of the hadith are translated as being more spiritual than physical in nature um, by the people who do practice hadith. So... I have uh, several other close friends of mine who are Islamic, and and they have given that that, that difference is that they'll say, well, well, this one is cultural, so you have to read this one in context because this isn't happening right now. And then you go to the next one. He said, "This one right here, this is actually spiritual. This has nothing to do with what's going on around you." So even. Some of my friends who do follow some of the hadith, um, they will specify the cultural context or the spiritual aspect of it, rather than saying, "Oh yeah, this is to wage war." You know. Yeah. So. And you know, there there are quite a few that are cultural that that were made out of cultural significance. For instance, if uh, let's just use this as an example, um, the niqab, which I don't know if you ever been to Saudi Arabia, that's like the tent they wear mm, okay. that covers the entire body mm. that's actually a very cultural thing because if you look sorry <laughs> back to um, Persia back in the medieval ages that's how the princesses dressed mm, that, that okay. um, they were covered from head to toe um, because they didn't want any men looking up right lusting after them um and that's where the niqab comes from. A culture thing. Right. Not a religious thing, not a spiritual thing, not a physical thing, just a 
cultural thing. They they mm. found a way to implement their culture into a religion that they were adopting. Yeah. Well, you see you see that a lot even over here. For example, there's a lot of traditions that get passed on through once again Eastern Orthodoxy. And you see Eastern Orthodox Christians who will do things that you don't see other Christians do. Um, you'll even see things that um, that Jews that, that Jewish people do. Um, you know, they'll, they'll have the little you know, the curls and the fringes across there because the fringes were actually a big thing over in the Middle East. The fringes told you who you were in the culture. So you'll still to this day among more of the more of the Orthodox Jewish people see the fringes that they that they have coming off of their belts or, you know, so. You know, it, it even takes comes over here, and you see it among the people over here. A lot of a lot of people uh, like to implement their their um, culture, and I think that that's happened to just about every religion where somebody has found some way to implement culture into mm-hmm. the religion. Um, for instance, Romans, when it comes to some um, Christianity holidays, some of those are deeply. Roman rooted um, and that's the same thing with a lot of Hadiths a lot of them are deeply culturally rooted where they were adopting the religion but they wanted to keep their traditions so they made Hadith <laughs> yeah I, I, I understand I understand yeah. it's kind of sad that there was that many dumb people that that worked but I digress well, we won't go. We won't go over all of the nonsense traditions we have here in America, um, <laughs> which you've seen plenty of. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I think it's been a, a fairly enlightening episode. That's great. Nobody, anybody have any other questions or anything? Or I, I think that it, it actually highlights more of our similarities than our differences. Yeah. So. Yeah. And where we, it actually creates, a, I think, a better understanding of where we can look out for each other um, as neighbors and also look out for each other for the extremists on both sides and know the differences. So know who the, the true people are of their faith rather than your... Um, your Westboro people, so, you know, you know, we we have differences on both sides, but I think we have more similarities than anything. Yeah, doctrinally, you know, we're going to have differences, um, just like we do with other branches of Judeo-Christian um, faith. So, but um, I think that this is a good way to cause more unity. You know, maybe more people will be able to listen to this, you know, and get a better understanding of where things are coming from and know where people really stand in their own faith rather than trying to create the division that it has created. Yeah. So, yeah. so until next time, think deeply over text and fermentation. Yeah. <laughs> and if you like what you're hearing, oh, make sure that you go to BibleOverBrews.com. You can find us on Instagram, Google+, Twitter, Tumblr, and more. See you next time. Peace out. Good night. Masalam.